Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Wise-Ass Show. I'm Mike Wise. Today, on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, we have Garrett Temple with us. All you have to know is his father was the first to integrate LSU's basketball team in 1971, and he got into a face-to-face confrontation with David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK, on the Free Speech Alley at LSU. Take it away, Darlene. The Wise Ass Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Wise Ass Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about the NBA for the New York Times, Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Well, kind of, Darlene. We're a little more serious today. It is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and so we have Garrett Temple on the show. Not exactly a wise ass, but a wise man. The Wise Ass Show is brought to you by Pure Hoops Media, a new basketball community you are now a part of. We feature weekly podcasts that will explore the world of hoops from every perspective. We've got former players, current players, journalists, executives, and coaches offering their unique insights. In addition to this show, The Wise Ass Show with me, Mike Wise, we have two other shows, The Pure Hoop Show with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, and Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozloff and Adam Stanko. Please check them out. Their show drops each Wednesday. We know you'll like them. Then subscribe and tell your friends. They'll thank you, and so will we. Welcome to edition number two of The Wise Ass Show. My guest today is a gentleman that I've known for, shoot, at least about eight years, uh, I, Garrett Temple, a, uh, well, I don't want to call him a journeyman because he's so much more than that. He's, he's, given, he's given life to the Sacramento Kings, the Wizards, the Memphis Grizzlies now. Welcome to the program, uh, Mr. Temple. Hey, Mr. Wise. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Uh, always great to talk to you, man. Yeah, so I, so I, you probably didn't know the Wise Ass Show was uh, the name of my show. Um, I don't expect you to be crazy <laughs> funny today. That's all right. We can talk serious. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'll, I'll let you be the one that makes all the jokes. <laughs> all right. Um, if you don't know, uh, Garrett Temple um, has had a a career that spans shoot. Uh, almost nine years in the uh, in the professional ranks, and he's been everywhere from shoot the Reno Bighorns to the Erie BayHawks, and uh, he had a uh, he had a stint with the Charlotte Bobcats. Um, he went overseas for a while. I mean, you've you've really you've really done a lot to stay in the game. I first of all, I this is the first question I want to ask. What it, was there a fork in the road for you? At any point, whether with the Wizards or someone else, where you knew you were going to stick on a roster, where you where you felt like not that I've arrived, but at least you know I, I'm not I don't want to go back to that G League team anytime soon. Yeah, I think that when when that time hit was probably 
after I came from Miami, after I came uh, from Italy and went to Miami for training camp, got cut, and then I signed with the Wizards. After I made that, um, made it past the guaranteed date. Actually, me and my teammate now, Sheldon Mack, were on the team in D.C. in 2000, I want to say 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, making making it past that guaranteed date and then getting my first guaranteed contract, that's when I realized, you know, I really felt like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going to be able to stick in this league for good now. And uh, and it actually, it's come to pass. So, you know, I, I thank Ernie Grunfeld and Randy Wade for giving me that, giving me that opportunity. But uh, that was the time when I felt, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here. This, this is where I belong. When, when I covered you in Washington, um, I, re- I remember uh, you always don't want a, a big-time player to get hurt. But when Bradley Beal went down, you almost became that indispensable reserve where you, you took up a lot of his minutes and played very well. Um, uh, John Stark still talks about the day he, he screwed up his knee trying to dunk over Patrick Ewing on the last day of training camp and Pat Riley was going to cut him, but he had to keep him to put him on the injury list. And it changed the, the, the literally the scope and the, and the trajectory of his career. Did you feel that way at the time when Bradley went down? Yeah. You know, in, in sports, you never want to see somebody get, get hurt. Um, especially not your teammate, especially not your friend, you know, me and Brad were probably, uh, he was the closest guy I was, uh, you know, I had on the team and, um, you know, but also in sports, it's always, you know, the mantra next man up. So I wanted to, you know, be, be ready for my opportunity. And, uh, you know, I took, I took full advantage of it and, you know, it honestly worked out. Obviously Brad is a, one of the most talented guards in our league and uh, he's grown into, you know, an all-star, but it's, uh, you know, him being injured obviously gave me my, my, my opportunity and obviously he was able to get, you know, still be the player he is today. So it, it worked out and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that out that I was ready to play. Um, I buried the lead a little bit uh, when I welcomed Garrett on. One of the reasons I brought him on is not because I've liked him and respected him as a player and a person since uh, since he's been in the league. and I've gotten to know him. But also, you know, the, the day this podcast is going to come out is Martin Luther King Day. And I can't think of a more socially conscious person who's really joined what I would call renaissance of social conscience among athletes than yourself. Um, could you... <laughs> I know, I know it's one of those things you were, you were almost in some ways born into. Um, let, tell people about your background. You're from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and your father, Collis, was the first uh, player of color, African-American, to integrate LSU's basketball team in, I believe, the early 70s. Is this all true? Yeah, that's true. Born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and it actually goes back further to my father, my grandfather. My- uh, my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather, my paternal grandfather went to Southern University HBCU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and um, he tried to go to LSU to get his master's degree. And this is in the 1950s, you know. So for you know, for a black man uh, to get a master's degree, it was big. And honestly, my my dad's mother went to Tuskegee and was taught by George Washington Car- Carver at Tuskegee in biology. So, wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, so education has been big. So my grandfather tried to go to LSU, was turned down because he was black. Thurgood Marshall had a uh, class action suit against the public colleges uh, in the South, and LSU did not want to be a part of that. So they they, they offered my grandfather money to go to any other school, any other school he wanted to, 
to get his master's. So he decided to go to Michigan State and uh, LSU, and the state paid for that for him to go to Michigan State. And um, and then my, you know, fast forward 15 years later, the governor of Louisiana is in my my dad's house um, asking his parents, my grandfather, who was turned down to go to LSU for his master's, asking him to allow his son to integrate the school at LSU. And this is after, um, you know, my dad's senior year, his first year going to school with, with white people, uh, mm. you know, winning a state championship. Just It's exactly like remember the Titans winning the state championship in football. Um, Britney Spears' father was the quarterback. My dad was the star receiver. Britney Spears' father was the quarterback <laughs> of your father's high school team? Yeah, they did. So he was the star from the, you know, the the big white school in right. the Wood area. My dad, my dad was a star of the big black school. They integrated their senior year, and uh, they didn't, you know, obviously it was tension just like on the movie. Remember the Titans, and um, they eventually came together, uh, won a state, went undefeated, won a state championship, and they're still friends to this day. Uh, Jamie Spears. So my dad, when he watched the movie, Remember the Titans, he was like, "This is exactly my life." Um, and wow. obviously going went to LSU and um, like you say, integrated the program was the one of two athletes, black athletes on campus, basically his whole time on campus. There was a track guy that um, that was there a year before him. So he was there, you know, used to debate David Duke. Yes. Talk, you know, him and yeah, 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 all of that yeah. and LSU. People forget, uh, well, one of the great moments I had with you in Washington, you probably don't remember, is uh, – um, I, I sort of read up on you and I said, is this stuff true? And he goes, yeah, I know at least 10 to 15 stories. Call him and I'll be able to corroborate them. And so sure enough, <laughs> I call you, I call your father up and he's so plain spoken. And he says, you know, what do you want to know? I, I committed to LSU in 69 with Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated sociological. The world was a different place. Let's just add some folk who weren't appreciative of me being an LSU man. And then he tells me the story of arguing with David Duke in the quad. Could you, uh, yeah. I'm sure he shared that with you many times. Can you share that with us? I mean, yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. There's a place at LSU called Free Speech Alley. And, you know, there, it's a place where people go and to debate certain topics. And obviously, um, David Duke in his younger days is probably even more, uh, I, I guess you'd say energetic, um, are passionate about what he believes than he is now. And, um, you know, being a former now, he was, you know, the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, you can imagine what his thoughts on um, integration was, what his thoughts on having a black man on campus, uh, you know, playing basketball and, you know, being not necessarily treated like athletes are today, but, you know, people showing some love to him. So they definitely had a lot of debates and, you know, my father, coming from the background he came from, was very well read. Um, my, his, his, his dad was a principal, his grandma, his mother, my grandmother was an English teacher, so he was he was not afraid to speak his mind and, uh, and speak eloquently about whatever he believed in. So, yeah, that's, that's something that definitely happened, and uh, it's actually funny when you think about it to me. Yeah, he, would, uh, he said that David Duke would be out there in the free speech alley yelling, talking about Jews and and words and and we don't need them I, and 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 your dad was like I couldn't deal with it one day I just got in a big damn argument with him right there in Free Speech Alley it was a weird crazy time um, the fact that he you know the guy would become a grand wizard 
is uh, one thing. But two, your dad, your, da- your dad just been this, uh, not just a socially conscious guy, but very, your mother and father, very caring as well. Um, people don't remember that uh, when Glenn Davis, big baby, had nobody in his life and his mother could no longer care for him as a young teen, um, didn't you guys, he moved in with you guys, didn't he? Yeah, so I've known Glenn since we were about nine or ten years old and um, uh, played on an AU team together. My dad coached and a lot of times during middle school he'd stay at my house uh, because of the situation and then uh, I want to say my our sophomore and junior year of high school, he lived with us uh, while we were both going to LSU lab school, the high school we went to. And um, and then his senior year, he uh, he lived with his uh, uh, his father. So it was it was it was a time that you know my dad and my mother they had something called group homes or halfway houses. They had about you know twenty five to thirty around the state. So they've always been in the service industry. So I've had a lot of people in and out of the house. Uh, whether it be our friends or just people around my age. And, uh, yeah, so Glenn definitely lived with us. Um, we still talk to this day. He's like a brother of mine. Uh, but that's just the type of guy my, my dad and my parents were in general. Um, you know, just always always ready to take whoever in that needed it. And here you are um, growing up in this environment. Uh, not only do you know these, these stories of Tuskegee, and not only do you know uh, these, these stories of your father in Free Speech Alley, clearly it affects you because I remember us having conversations about uh, the ugliness uh, racially a lot in the world at that time. It's gotten worse. And, um, and I got to say, I, I was not surprised that you were one of the first people when there was a shooting of an unarmed black man in Sacramento uh, a year ago, you were one of the first people on uh, to basically uh, rally the team. And I mean, your whole, your whole idea was um, you were, you were integral, in, integral in organizing a public service announcement involving the Kings and the Celtics in the aftermath of the Stephon Clark shooting. And if anybody doesn't know, he was an unarmed black man in Sacramento, uh, shot by a policeman. If anybody's seen the video, it's just as awful as many of the others around the country. And it uh, it clearly drives home that law enforcement um, and the black community have a long way to go. What Do you think your background made you get involved there? Or was it, or you just feel like, the, Something something is happening in my community, irrespective if I'm a I'm a millionaire and a basketball player. I need to get involved. Yeah, I think uh, my background uh, made me get involved, um, especially because I'm an athlete and I have this platform. Um, you should get involved, in my opinion, from what, from how I was raised, how I was taught in general. You should get involved whenever you can, but especially when you have a platform and you have a, a voice. Um, that you that you can reach multiple people, um, thousands of people, maybe even millions. So um, that's how I was always taught um, to first learn everything about a situation, educate yourself on the situation, and then speak on it if you feel passionate enough um, and if you feel like the voices that need to be heard can't be heard, then you, if you feel what they feel, speak for them. Um, you know, the Stefan Clark, situation is obviously terrible but i want to you know more it's more than the the relationship between african-americans and police the police force i think the 
in my personal opinion, stems from the relationship between African Americans in this country, um, the, the, the foundation of the, how this country was founded, the history of this country. Uh, you know, I personally don't think each one of these police officers that have killed an unarmed black man uh, were personally racist and went out and, you know, do not like black people for whatever reason. I think most of it comes from fear and comes from uh, implicit bias that is put, you know, put upon them uh, through society and the, the way blacks have been, um, you know, displayed through whether it be media, um, movies, news, things of that nature. So, and, and that's been going on since, you know, 1700. So, it's it's not the it's not specifically police and African Americans. It's more of a just a countrywide national, uh, you know, problem in terms of how black people are viewed in this country. In my opinion, my guest is Garrett Temple, the um, NBA reserve guard, playing with the Memphis Grizzlies right now. I'm talking to him about his experience in Sacramento last year and organizing a public service announcement trying to heal a community and law enforcement. Now, while, Gary, while you were in the middle of this, you obviously wanted to see fans and the community um, put away their anger and, and go back to being uh, you know, a, a peaceful community. But you also felt like law enforcement should be held accountable. Yeah, no question. And, uh, and I don't necessarily think people should put away their anger, honestly. When it comes to situations like this, I think people should be allowed to feel what they feel um, because it's their feelings. And if if you you know put a put away their anger or push push it to the side, then I think you're um, discounting how they actually feel. So um, it should be there because it's it's a travesty in my opinion. This is not something that should be normalized and should be okay. So if somebody's angry about it, you should allow them to be angry. Uh, but I do think you know law enforcement should be held accountable. Um, for instances like this, uh, for whatever whatever way things can happen, the rules should be changed. I actually talked to some police officers about, you know, the, a situation like this and how they would, you know, go into it. And, uh, you know, I I know I, I know that I don't know how a policeman feels when he goes into a situation like this. I, I've never been one. And I, I don't claim to know, but I do know it's a choice to become a policeman. And with that choice comes a lot of responsibility. And, um, you know, they created the mantra, protect and serve. Uh, but in too many instances, um, especially with black men, it's not it's not the case. And, um, you know, so I think people should be held accountable for their actions, even though they're in a, a tough space, you know. You put you you put yourself in someone else's shoes. Essentially, you put yourself in those policemen's shoes, and I know there were there were also conversations between the community and police that were facilitated, if I remember correctly. Right, right, right. You know, you can never say, "I would have done this. I would have done that." Um, you know, human nature it makes you think that, but at the end of the day, you you don't know what you would do unless you're in that situation. One thing, it's different if policemen were drafted, like in the army back in the day. But again, like I said, it's a choice to become that. And it's probably the uh, most difficult job um, in the in America in terms of having your life online every single day. Uh, and we did have conversations. We did facilitate conversations between policemen and some, some uh, people in the community. 
just honestly, I wanted to understand what would someone do in that situation. If I don't see a gun for sure, then how can I shoot? And then their response is, well, maybe, you know, sometimes seeing the gun is too late. Maybe your life is taken. Mm. And, um, you know, and the response is, oh, understandably so, but, you know, that's the risk you take becoming a police officer. You're there mm. to protect and serve, not to kill first and ask questions later and answer questions later. And I think, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, I, a majority of the people are not racist, in my opinion, that kill, that end up killing black uh, men or women. I think it, the fear comes from implicit bias that has been, um, you know, that has brainwashed all of society in America um, to view blacks, especially black men, um, the way that they are viewed in terms of uh, being fearful of them and, uh, you know, of them being in a position that they can hurt you. Jared Temple's my guest, uh, NBA veteran. Um, I I wanted to um, talk to you really quickly about the NBA and how they were when you called them. I'm not sure who you spoke with, whether it was Kathy Barons um, or or Adam Silver. They were very helpful um, in your situation. Why isn't and I give them credit, but why isn't say the NFL, Major League Baseball, and why why is the NBA the only uh, major sports league that gets involved in this? I mean, it, it's easy to say, oh yeah, there's a lot of urban guys um, that happen to be African American, and, and they even have more of their workforce that's black than most leagues. But I think it's more than that. I just think that's a culture um, in the NBA that's that's much more progressive, and they understand that. Uh, it, it's okay for athletes to use the game as a tool for something bigger in their lives. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, because you can't just say because there uh, is a great amount of uh, percentage of blacks, because in football, I want to say 65, 30% of the athletes are black. And you see what happened with the anthem protest and uh, why Colin Kaepernick is still not in the NFL. Um, so I think it just goes to, um, you know, Adam Silver being a very progressive-minded uh, um, commissioner, uh, as well as, you know, us having a great relationship, uh, the players as well as the executive director having a great relationship with the commissioner. And honestly, basketball being such a global sport, it has to include and be inclusive to so many different um, people and so many different <clears throat> Um, cultures. So, you know, NFL, NFL just worries about America. You know, it's just honestly worried about America. Not many people in China are going to watch the Super Bowl in two weeks. Um, but it being the biggest sport in, in this country and, you know, basically turning Sunday into a, you know, Sunday is football day. You know, it's not, it's not in, in America. It's not really for church anymore. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, you, you can have whatever whatever opinion you want on that, but I think the NFL isn't trying to grow globally like the like the NBA has, and because of that, then they can only they only need to worry about their um, base, as if you if you care to say, and uh, and that's America. So you you see what they what they worry about and what they put their stock into. I'm, I'm hearing a phone in the background. Are you running Garrett Temple Enterprises as well as doing this podcast <laughs> right now? 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually getting my truck worked on. I, I had a, a a flat tire. I had a nail in my tire, so I got to get my get my tire fixed and on. Oh, so, so, so you're calling me from an automotive shop? Yeah, I'm at Firestone Complete right now, man. Firestone Complete Shout in Memphis. In Memphis, Tennessee. Shout out Firestone Complete, yeah. Shout out Firestone <laughs> Complete. Uh, please help my friend. Um, what what are you driving now? I have a uh, a Tesla, a Model X. And, oh, uh, God. And, a, uh, and I have a, yeah, I went to Sacramento, man. I turned, I was vegan for a few months and I got an electric car. And now I have a, uh, and I also have a um, Chevrolet 2500 HD, oh. a diesel. God bless uh, you. God bless. What were you driving, <laughs> let's say, um, in 2009 when you were with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers? Wow, Mike, I had a, uh, my avalanche that I had since my sophomore year, junior in college. <laughs> I had avalanche, and I had I had that for I want to say nine years, even. So you had some miles on that. Four, yeah, like four or five years into into my NBA career, a professional career, I still had that avalanche, and uh, not until I got my first guaranteed deal in the NBA did I did I change cars. I made my second guaranteed deal. So. Well, yeah, you yeah. were going between the Erie BayHawks, the Bucks, the the Bobcats. Then you were with Novi Pukasali Moferati. Yeah. Went to Italy. Uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Basketball takes you some wild, on some wild journeys. Uh, yes, it does. Um, we're talking with Garrett Temple, son of social activist and David Duke hater, Collis Temple. I, I, <laughs> I just think I just think that's awesome. And I think you know, right after I heard that story, I was like, I like this guy. Um, <laughs> and you you grew up with that. Well, what's your your middle name's Bartholomew? Who were you named after? I was that named after my. Grandfather on my my mother's side, his name was Bar- his first name was Bartholomew. They called him Bat. Um, mm. He named he named his oldest son Bartholomew, uh, and then so my mom she wasn't gonna give me the first name, but she gave me the middle name. I I didn't know how to spell it for the first probably six years of my life. So not until I was probably third grade I knew how to spell my middle name. Uh, man, that's you didn't know how to spell <laughs> your middle name until your yeah. third grade. Until third grade, that's- yeah. That's all right. Most of the people I work with at this uh, Pure Hoops Media thing, they can't spell their names now. It's pathetic. Um, um, but so uh, you, okay, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't get some of the recent uh, gossip out of the way. Um, you got into it with a teammate recently. And I, I understand, like, we hear stories about dust ups and flare ups like we never have before because of social media. But Clearly, this this was over the losing that was going on with uh, the Grizzlies and you guys trying to get out of a slide and and there's definitely some some effort issues there. Could, could you elaborate on that at all to, to just dispel the rumors out there? Yeah, uh, one rumor I heard was that the meeting was about us, you know, guys talking about bench production, totally untrue, um, or or about guys talking about effort um which was not really the case either um we were just trying to figure out what the problem was as a team and you know when i spoke i uh you know i talked about as a team us being um you know coming together and being positive every day that we walk in the locker room and um you know certain miscommunications you know perception honestly in people's eyes are reality so However, somebody perceives what you're saying, then that's what that's their reality. So, uh, you know, me and OC have known each other for a long time, and he's a very passionate guy. So, he took something I said, um, 
you know, a different way than I meant it. And, uh, and that's honestly what it was. It was never, the meeting was never about guys calling out the bench saying they need, we need more production. That's, that's totally untrue. Um, well, so, yeah, it was a loss at home to the Pistons um, yeah. to catch people up. Uh, there was a, a little altercation between Garrett Temple and his teammate Omri Caspi. Um, did you guys actually throw punches or was it just uh, shoving? What happened? You know, uh, man, we, we we good. I'm gonna leave it at that. That stuff stays in. in, in yeah, in, understood. In yeah. Are you good now? You're good now with We're him? good now. We're good now. We we, we sit next, literally next to each other on the plane. Um, oh, cool. And uh, if we do play cards uh, on the plane, then we're playing. We're playing together. Uh, but uh, you know, we we've had so many injuries. We only have like eight or nine people on on the road now, so we can't even play cards anymore. So I'm I'm getting I'm getting more reading more reading in now. Well, um, so so you will be welcome to Israel um, soon, uh, 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 based on based on you uh, mending fences with Omri Kasper. Yeah, yeah, me and OC are cool. I mean, I got some, I got some uh, <laughs> some some threats on Instagram and stuff like that from some some people. Oh no! But, uh, me, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just like he's got the jihad. He's got a jihad. Yeah. <laughs> but but me and OC are definitely cool. Very much so. Very good. Very good. Um, I, how much, like, how much, uh, what is, what is in store for you? Where, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? I know you're, you're the kind of person where I really don't worry about you after basketball because shoot, you could run for office things. Um, how, how much longer you want to play the game? I want to play another, another four years, man. And, uh, you know, I think I can play until I'm 36, um, I don't. I don't have the problem, you know. My last two, three years in the league, being a mentor, uh, just being that guy that you know sh- t- teaches guys how to be pros, the young guys. Um, and uh, after that, you know, maybe I want to stick around basketball. Um, coaching may be a little too nerve wracking for me. I might want to do more front office um, work, uh, maybe even broadcasting, but. We'll see. I definitely want to stick around basketball, around basketball as well as have some other business, some other things going on in my enterprises. You know, some real estate. Um, already into that, uh, but I definitely want to be around basketball. Oh no, Jamal Crawford told me on my his first my first podcast last week that he was definitely going to be a GM. Essentially, all the players are going to be GMs. And um, it's going to leave no jobs for people like Lee Jenkins and others writers who know nothing about the game. <laughs> to begin with. Hey, I, I, mean, and I got to guys got my analytics. No, but you know what, though? You guys got the Players' Tribune now. You don't even need sports writers to tell your stories. It's messed up. They're just taking a – they're basically – they're you know, they talk about they're getting rid of the center in the NBA – they're basically legislating us, uh, you know, us slovenly sports riders who can't play <laughs> as well as you do, and we don't have, we're not gonna have jobs soon. <laughs> That's social media for you, huh? We just take it away every day. Yeah. <laughs> never oh, that, never man. that, Mike. Never that. Uh, we're with Garrett Temple, my guest. Uh, he's from LSU. He's from Baton Rouge. Um, he's, but he's played for many teams. He's been all around the league. A team you could imagine. I I guess there was was there a historical thing to when you found out you were being moved to Memphis. Obviously, this is where uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. 
and uh, we we are this is coming to people on MLK Day. What, um, did, did you visit the site, or did you th think to yourself, um, there, "There's a reason I'm here beyond basketball," or did you even go that deep? Um, I did. Uh, I did see the go to the museum. I had been before. I went again when I got here, um, and it's every time. I think I've been there three times. Uh, the site where he where he got shot, and every time it's it's just a real feeling, and um, you know, someone that powerful, someone that created so much change for African Americans in this country, um, it, it means a great deal, especially to me. Uh, continuing to still try to, you know, understand how much somebody like him has to go through, and, and uh, still do what he did. Um, in terms of me, I feel like everything happens for a reason. Um, so I feel like I'm here because mm -hmm. of who I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. Um, you know, uh, us playing, we actually have a game tomorrow on MLK Day. First day I'm, I'm playing on Martin Luther King Day, so get a chance to honor, um, mm. you know, honor him in, uh, in a way that I've never been able to do before. And um, it's something that I'm, I'm being, I'm going to talk on a panel later tonight with Glenn Hill and with Mark Spears about just some of the stuff we've talked about here on this podcast, um, social consciousness and um, the uh, you know, intersection between uh, things uh, socially and sports. And, uh, you know, so I'm here for a reason, and I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in. No, that's, that's amazing. The panels tonight, it, will it be televised? I think it will be streamed, uh, like everything is nowadays, okay. huh? Uh, sure. On on something, it's, it's streamed on something. Yeah. I, even know well, I, I think you yeah. you pick two very good people to have that conversation with. Spears, Spears is a uh, is is a Louisiana guy too, isn't he? At heart. Uh, he's. I think his people are from there. Yeah. Um. He did. Yeah. A, he did a, a article on my dad a couple of years ago. And we we got to know each other really well. Uh. And I I wish I could say I picked him, but. Uh, when they asked me to do it, they, those two guys were already on the panel. So I said, uh, you know, for sure, I got to do that. Yeah. Uh, a couple more minutes with uh, Garrett Temple, uh, now with the Memphis Grizzlies, a uh, person I've looked up to for a long time, not just a player, but as a person. And that's why we're having him on today, MLK Day. The, uh, do you, um, does it bother you when President Trump goes at other athletes um, I look now today and, and just from the outside, I feel like sports in many ways has almost become the new conversation point where all these all these stories about race and culture intersect. And literally the president, even through the Kaepernick thing, is is using NFL players as a proxy for patriotism. He's He's been openly uh, critical and mocking of the Golden State Warriors, their coach and and their best player, and so where are you on that? I mean, does it do we have to change as a society, not just the president, but would we have to change as a society to 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 live up to what Martin Luther King Jr. wanted for us? Oh, no question. I mean, if we definitely have to change to live up to what MLK wanted, um, the dream he had. Um, if if I were to say we didn't have to change, that mean we would we would have, you know, uh, been doing what he wanted us to do. And I do not think that's the case at all. Um, you, 
I mean, you just look at, I saw a post about um, something um, in D.C. the other day about Indigenous People Day and came together with the uh, anti-abortion um, rally. And I want to say a teenage white boy was standing in front of a an elder Native American and while he was playing the drums and was basically mocking him and smiling in his face and all of the most of the kids his age, the teenagers, uh, wore the, you know, make the American great again hat. And um these type of things are just things that, you know they're they're taught. They're taught. So uh it's definitely we definitely need to change as a society, as a country. Um you have to it's tough to say, but it has to come from, it, it's tough to change when the foundation of this country mm. uh, was built on, on slavery at the end of the day. And, um, and not only on black, it was slavery of, you know, the, the lesser. Uh, so it's a, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. It's going to be a long road. Um, but you have to understand that change needs to be made before you can actually make it. I still believe that there's more people like us who believe in one world than there are people that don't believe in that. And for the, for uh, just for clarification, that that Native American, his name was Nathan, his name's Nathan Phillips. I had the pleasure of meeting him at a rally mm-hmm. in uh, in Minnesota four years ago uh, during uh, basically 5000 Native Americans walked down the street um, and they were against the Washington NFL name because Washington was playing Minnesota that day. As the first time, you know, a native mom came up to me and said, look, you can think this is PC all you want, but those images, that name, those logos, the Braves, the Indians, you don't know what that does to my child's self-esteem. You know, that even makes him feel like he's trapped in a time warp. And some of these kids are trying to be educators and, and lawyers and tribal advocates. And we all want to put them in a Western rerun still. And so, so at any rate, I met him there. And to see that happen to him yesterday or Friday at the Indigenous Peoples March and on those kids around him. And even if you took away, let's say, you know, I know the, I know people thought the worst because they saw the Make America Great Again hats and these uh, and all these prep school kids were around him mocking him. Even if you took the race of those kids away, you took the ethnicity of him away. That's still a punk kid mocking, smirking at a Vietnam veteran. An elder. I mean, I mean, yeah. yeah, and a tribal elder that you could not, even if, you know, even if he didn't go to Vietnam, but the fact that, shoot, the U.S. government tried to exterminate that um, indigenous peoples less than 200 years ago, and the, that guy puts that aside to enlist in the same government, and he right. actually goes to serve for his country, and to come right. back and to deal with that, it just, and then the, the other irony, I mean, these guys were from Catholic schools, Catholic schools, Catholic boarding schools exactly. were a lot of elders were sent to them and they had to, they made them cut their hair and not speak their native tongue because they wanted to make them more white. And I just, mm-hmm. it just bothered me on so many levels. It was just like, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I felt what you felt. I just cringed and I wish I was there to support him. Yeah, no question, no question. Um, yeah. You know, the passion that you, the passion that you have, obvious, obvious, and um, I agree. I do think more people are uh, feel the way you feel, um, but I think uh, it needs to be talked about even more. A lot of people are saying it doesn't, you know, we don't need to talk about. It. We just need to fix it. But you have to acknowledge it and talk about it and talk about 
what needs to be done in order to fix it. So that's where I'm at, that's where I'm at on it. You should. Um, uh, we're talking to Garrett Temple from the Firestone Station in uh, Memphis, <laughs> Tennessee, where he's getting a nail fixed in his tire. So the ringing in the background is just music to my ears. These people are fixing your tires. You should just pick it up next time and tell them this is Garrett Temple from the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, what can I do for you? Because I think that, I think whoever was trying to get their car fixed would be very impressed. That's just me. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I'm just <laughs> All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here. This has been some of the best uh, time I've had. I, I did radio for three and a half years in D.C., but I've enjoyed these conversations more because they bring out what, what the day is supposed to be about, which is a celebration of life and togetherness. And look, I love that you I love that you said you're it really feels like you're honoring and serving playing on MLK Day for the first time tomorrow. Because that's what it's all about. If you, if you do nothing else tomorrow, do something for someone else. It'll make you feel good. No question, no question, brother. I'm uh I'm excited to be able to play. And like you said, um, if nothing, if you do nothing tomorrow, try to try to do something to honor his legacy. Uh, and 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 that would be that would be a start. Um, I can't wait to see you when you come next to DC. I owe you food for this, and um and and please say hello to your family. And tell your father I won't bother him in a, at a at a at a at a uh, off hour where he's sleeping anymore because I know last time I called he was like who is this so so I think he's um, yeah. <laughs> just tell him I'll, I'll, I'll call during regular business hours yeah that's how he always is you can call him at eleven o'clock in the middle of the day he's gonna still say who is this but he says <laughs> that to me sometimes when I call so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Have a great Martin Luther King Day and say hi to my, Mark Spears and Grand Hill on your panel tonight um, and all the best to you. All right, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. And I love the name of the show, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Time for a word from Pure Hoops Media. The Wise Ass Show is just one of three weekly shows we have for you. Make sure to check out Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko and the Pure Hoops Show with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J. is a former Chicago Bull who won three chips with M.J. Scotty and Phil. He's also a player agent representing some of the NBA's biggest names. His stories and takes are unscripted, unpredictable, and unforgettable. Check out the Pure Hoops Show with BJ and Eric Newman each week. Their new show drops on Friday. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And please, subscribe. Welcome back to the Wise Ass Show. Really happy to have with us to end the show today, Bruce Bernstein, the former coordinating producer on the NBA studio show for ESPN, a 30-year worldwide leader employee until he left the company in December of 2017. And now, co-founder of Pure Hoops Media, a person who I got to thank you. You you made me a little more woker, sir. You said I was going to have Frank Isola on this week. I love Frank. He's an old time friend. But you said, hey, this 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 podcast is running MLK Day. Why not get a guest that? And sure enough, Garrett Temple came to mind. He came on. He was great. Tell me what you did for ESPN back in the day to make the intersection of Martin Luther King Day, the NBA, and ESPN a household thing um, from, shoot, 10 years on, 2008, this started. Well, first of all, Garrett Temple was amazing, and it was so great that he was willing to join us. Can't thank him enough. Um, back towards the end of 2007, uh, I was a coordinating producer at ESPN, and I was sitting in our weekly coordinating producer meeting. Uh, it was after the World Series, but before Thanksgiving, somewhere in that November range. 
And uh, we used to go around the table and everybody could sort of say something if they had something they wanted to say after Mark Gross kind of went through the agenda. And so I had just kind of raised my hand and innocently said, innocently said what are we doing to honor Martin Luther King uh, on the holiday uh, in January? And I don't really recall what the answer was, but it wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're doing A, B, and C. So I said, well, gee, why don't we ask athletes to do a little short testimonial on Dr. King and we can run them as in bumps uh, on the shows. And it's a nice way to kind of uh, honor a great man on his holiday. So Mark just kind of looked at me and he said, okay, go ahead, you do it. And I'm like, okay, I'd always admired Dr. King. So I thought, okay, I'm going to really enjoy doing this. Uh, it turned out to be a lot more work than I thought, but it was something I did for probably five or six years, and then I turned it over to some other folks uh, that were more associated with Black History Month programming, and they were able to kind of take it to another level with some added, you know, resources behind it, shall we say. Bruce, you didn't, and you didn't uh, run into any interference. They wanted to do this once you, once you got everybody on board, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the great things about ESPN that I learned a long, long time ago, and George Bodenheimer, who was running the company for many, many years, always made diversity a very important issue for the company. And I think it was done and it was explained well at the time. It's like it's the right thing to do. It's also good for business. I mean, our customers are not just, you know, uh, a certain group of people. We want our customers and the sports community to be the most inclusive place there is. So when they told me, yeah, go ahead and do it, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of assistance. There was certainly no interference. Mm, that, that's great to hear. Um, thanks, everybody, again. I'll, I'll leave you with this quote. It's one of my favorite Mar Martin Luther King Jr. quotes because, shoot, it replies to my own life. He said, if you want to change the world, pick up your pen and write. The song Happy Birthday, I hope, was going to lead us out today. Even if it doesn't, shoot. Uh, happy birthday, Dr. King. Happy birthday, Dr. King.